Thanks, Julie. Morning, everyone. We're at the, uh, the end of a, a, a three-sermon mini-series about God's generosity. And uh, today we're looking at this theme of grace to give. It is one of those um, kind of uh, pew-squeaking moments, isn't it, when churches start to talk about money, because it's one of those topics that we don't uh, like to talk about very much. Even when we meet with our nearest and our dearest, or we have a meal with people, it's that, it's that kind of hidden theme, isn't it? If anybody ever sits opposite you at a dinner party, as somebody did once to me and said, so what do you earn each month? It's, uh, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a sainted topic, isn't it? So how do, we, how do we address these issues and talk about it without uh, offending people? So uh, today is really about the grace to give. It's that sense of why is giving so important? And we've heard already over the last couple of weeks that giving is important partly because as as people give, it means that we can plan up ahead in terms of the ministry of the church. And that's really important. We thought last week about the fact that um, giving is part of our character development. It's what God calls us to in a broad spectrum of our discipleship. And today we get down to the nitty-gritty of what Paul said to Timothy, of what he was to instruct the church that he was responsible for as a young man. So here's a little bit of background in terms of Timothy. His name literally means Timothy, which means honour God. So here was Timothy as a young man responsible for a church Uh, thinking about how with finances we should honour God. He was born uh, just there, a place called Lystra. You can check that out in Acts chapter 16. At the time of Paul writing the letter, that uh, part of which Yvonne just read to us, he's a young leader leading a church in Ephesus. In fact, one of the things that Paul says to him is, don't let people look down on you because you are young, but set an example to them in faith in speech, in purity, in life. So he was a young guy. He also had a little flirtation with the Corinthian church. He was sent by Paul um, to there as well to encourage them and to remind them of what it meant to be a Christian. So here was a young guy leading a church and right at the end of this first letter, Paul is talking to him about the theme of money. And the overall context of what Paul is encouraging Timothy to talk about is this. It's the instruction of godly teaching and a godly life. Sometimes when we talk about money, we divide that from our godly life. We somehow think that money is uh, over to the left, whereas our godly life and our teaching is more in the centre It seems to me that actually it's right in the centre of what it means to live a godly life is to be a people who consider godly giving. It's the centre ground, not over to one side. So here's what Paul says then in these last few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And it's worth saying, isn't it, for for us, as we look at ourselves, that rich is a relative term. As we look at ourselves in 
the culture that we live in, the homes that we have, compared to somebody in a little village outside Lagos or Kampala. Or richness is a relative term, isn't it? Com- command those who are rich. And whilst we might like to look at the David Beckhams of this world and think, well, if I was earning £160,000 a week at Paris Saint-Germain, I might be a better giver. Actually, uh, the reality is that isn't true. I am rich compared to 98% of the rest of this world. And so when Paul is saying these little things to Timothy, you know, command those who are rich. I mean, A, it's good to know, isn't it, in the Ephesian church that Timothy was leading, that there were rich people. I'm sure Timothy was really pleased about that. But Paul says to him, listen, Timothy, command those who are rich not to be arrogant and put their hope in wealth. And it's worth saying that Timothy and that those are part of his church, a bit like us today, we can put our hope in wealth, in the resources that we have. And I actually think one of the beauties of a project like the Heart of the Community Project, which is looking at a £5.8 million price tag, I think one of the, the beauties of that project is that we look at it and we think, do you know, we absolutely have no hope in raising it by our own strength. Because there's no, none of us that can say, it's all right, I'll cover that. There's none of us that have access, probably, to £5.8 million in a bank account somewhere tucked away. We we simply are looking at it and thinking, do you know, we we have no chance. And I think, although I have my moments, I I think that that's probably a good thing. Because we are absolutely called to put our trust and our hope in the Lord who provides We're not putting our hope in wealth or even in people who have wealth. We've got to put our trust somewhere else. There can be a misplaced hope in wealth to deliver. And all we need to do is look at our culture to realize that when there's been hope placed in wealth to deliver, how misplaced that is as we stand looking down the barrel of the ongoing credit crunch or the credit stamp. Uh, or the credit 10 years, you know, whatever it turns out being, we know that placing our hope in wealth is misdirecting it. And Paul said, look, instead of placing your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, put your hope in God. There's been a thing, hasn't there, in this country, probably over the last 50 years, which is, to say, which is saying to own your own house is absolutely certain in terms of the wealth that you have. Uh, My mother bought a house that was worth £675,000 and sold it for £500,000, which was a little more than it was bought for. There is no certainty, actually, by placing our hope in wealth, in housing, in property, in finances. That is a misplaced hope, I think. We have to put our hope in the Lord, who does what? Paul says he provides for our enjoyment. I've been pondering this little phrase this week because it is an intriguing statement, isn't it, that Paul makes. He says, put your hope in the Lord because he's the one that provides for you. And we might say, yes, Paul, we absolutely see that, we agree with it. 
But Paul goes further. He says, he provides for your enjoyment. That is a fascinating little phrase. That God is not um, kind of mealy mouth. You know, here's a little bit side just to keep you on the straight and narrow and to, you know, stop you from uh, falling into uh, the pit of anxiety or worry. Or He's saying, here, God provides for you for our enjoyment. That basically means that our relationship with the Lord should be enjoyable. It should be, uh, it should be fun. It should be a journey of encouragement and excitement. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there's redirected hope. Secondly, Paul says, look, there's a richness in good deeds. He says, again, command these people to be rich in good deeds. And it's worth us saying a massive thank you, isn't it, for those that got stuck into helping at the preschool and nursery yesterday, for instance. Uh, When I wandered across... People painting rooms, clearing things up, um, sweeping floors, and absolutely looking happy doing it. Uh, What a great thing. People rich in good deeds. There's something about that in terms of our relationship with the Lord that encourages us to step out in faith and do something with it. The uh, little video that's being shot at the moment by Rob Wicks about the heart of the community project has a little refrain in it with the question, isn't church just about sitting down in rows and singing songs and, uh, on a Sunday and then going away again? And the refrain after that little phrase, time and time again, is, no, it isn't. And in fact, Rob was yesterday filming in the preschool and nursery, various people painting the wall and then just looking at the camera and saying, no, it isn't. To be rich in good deeds. Some of the most rich people that I've met have not been rich financially, but have been absolutely rich in the good deeds, in the things that they have done, in their desire to give away. Some of the richest financially people that I've met are often some of the most stingy. I guess that's because they, they're rich because they hold on to their wealth, maybe. Um, some of the richest people have been those that haven't had very much but have given and given and given again. So to, for us, the challenge is to be rich in good deeds. A bit like in the story that we had from, from Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and these things will never come at a convenient time. The story of the Good Samaritan did not come at a time that was convenient. It, was just, it just came at a time when there was a need. And uh, the other day I had a two-hour window in my afternoon to prepare for an evening uh, meeting that I was going out to in another church. And I thought, great, I've got two hours just to prepare for this meeting tonight. That, 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 that's all I need. I shall lock myself away in my office with my computer and I shall prepare thoroughly for this meeting tonight. As I got back, put my bag down, the doorbell went. And I answered the door and this guy was there in a rucksack and he said, um, he said uh, are you the vicar? Now, I did think for a minute 
about what an appropriate response might be. Um, but I, sa- I, I said, yeah, yeah, I am. He, he said, he said have, you, have you got a little bit of time for a chat? And again, I thought to myself, I have, uh, the response was on the tip of my tongue, actually, no, I haven't, uh, which was true. But I said, yes. Uh, and then we went off uh, to the coffee shop. We had a, a bit of a, a chat together, and then it turned out he, he wanted some money. And, uh, and I said, look, I said, I can do two things for you. I can pray for you. He said, that would be great. So I prayed for him. And I said, also, uh, why don't we wander around the Parkway train station and we'll, you know, I'll buy you some food. And we sat down and we had a little meal together at Parkway. I prayed for him again. And then uh, he wanted to go somewhere. So I, you know, put him on a train and, and off he went. And by the end of that, um, how, how much time had gone by, do you think? And I thought to myself as I wandered back, you know, Lord, what am I going to do tonight? And uh, the Lord said, just do what you always do. Um, just wing it. It'll be fine. <laughs> and so I did. I went off to this meeting in the evening, and uh, it, it was absolutely fine. It, it, went, it went phenomenally well. So it's, it's just one of those things. It's like the Lord smiling and saying, here's, here's a little gift of generosity that you can give. That uh, means that don't worry, the, re- the rest of it is in my hands. Um, I'm on the case. And so we want to be those that are rich in good deeds and, and generous and willing to share with those who are around us. And I think that element of willingness is really important. God doesn't want us to give out of a sense of uh, j- just oughtness. He wants us to give out of a sense of being, being absolutely willing to share what we have both the, the stuff that we have, the finances, our time. There's that generosity and willingness to be that kind of person. And when we live like that, Paul says to Timothy, you know, you'll lay up treasures for yourselves as a sure foundation for the coming age. Isn't it a bizarre thing that what we, the way that we give of ourselves in the here and now is somehow laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Jesus said it, didn't he, in Matthew 6. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever our treasure is, what we're focused towards in our treasure, will, our heart will follow it. If we're focused just on extending the number of houses that we have or our bank accounts, if that's where our treasure is focused then our heart will follow it and then giving in this helps us to take hold of life somehow when we're generous in this life as we seek to give and give again then it somehow prepares us for eternity where actually all the glory will be the Lord's all the the, the wealth will be his, he's the only one that can have that glory in heaven. And so we are preparing now as we give away for the fact that the ultimate giving, we'll, we take nothing with us other than our relationship with the Lord. And then lastly, being refocused on grace. Timothy, Paul says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. And that probably for Timothy means the people that he's been entrusted with, the church that he's responsible for. It also, no doubt, means Timothy's own uh, finances. Entrusted with what you've been entrusted with, Timothy, take care of it. 
take care of that. He says, turn away from any opposing ideas. And you know, here's one of the opposing ideas. The opposing ideas, one of them is this, in our culture, I think, is if I hold on to my wealth, somehow I get to keep it, that I'll be safe if I have a certain amount. And none of us are exempt from this thought when we think about giving. If I give regularly, I may not have enough to live on. If I give sacrificially, I may not have enough to survive. Anybody who gives, anybody has that thought. If you have that thought from time to time, you are just normal. Um, You're not different from anybody else. If I give, and I give sacrificially, how, how will I have enough to get through this next month? Because actually, it means that we are thrust on the presence of the Lord to provide. Our experience has been like many of you, that as I give, and like Chris and Murray were saying the last couple of weeks, we give... A 10% as a starting point, just log, you know, chop that out of the monthly uh, gross income that comes to me. We, we chop out 10% and we give it back to the church. And people say to me, yeah, but doesn't the church pay your expenses? Why don't you just keep the money and not charge the church your expenses? It's common sense, isn't it? That would be. Um, but you see, I think that, that we are called to give. We're called to give. We can play around with figures and, you know, so this money comes from here and that comes from there, but actually we're called to give. So we start with a 10% and then we work up in terms of uh, giving away, both within the church here and to other uh, places as well. The opposing idea is, if I hold on to my money, then I'm going to be safer. Um, that isn't true, folks. It really isn't. We're called to give as Christians. And when Paul talked about this to Timothy, he says, you know, there are some people who have departed from their faith. And uh, I think that it is true, my observation of church over the years, I've been involved in a few, is that when there is no giving, there is no growing. I think it's absolutely true, as the people that I've looked at over the years, where there's no giving, there's no growing. And I would say, if you want to get growing in your faith, here's a practical thing. Start to give. Start to give. Start with 10%, work upwards, but just give. Where there's no giving, there is no growing. That's true for us as individuals. I think it's true for churches. We want to be a generous church, don't we? Giving away people, resources, um, the space that we have. The building of the Heart of the Community project actually is, is, a, is an external thing. It's for out there. It's for other people. It's for to bless a region and an area. It's to set an example that church can grow, to train and equip people, that church in this country is not dead, that church is alive and growing and serving and helping and consistent. That's what that is about. If we build buildings just for our own benefit, we've lost the plot so as we give we grow and then lastly which of us can say that this is easy it isn't 
It isn't easy. We need grace to give. We need to be touched by God's Spirit to remind us that out of our giving, He can do things. That more can happen as we give. That there's more growth for us as individuals as we give. There's extended growth for us as a church as we give. We would never do, would be an over 65's lunch if people didn't give their time, their finances, their smiles, their handshakes, their welcome, the serving of the glass of wine as you come in, um, my highlight of the month. Um, as people give, we grow. This church, I think, has grown over the years because it has given. That's my basic assessment. This church has grown over the years because it has given. People, resources, time, and finances. So there we go. There's my thoughts. Grace to give. It's what Paul said to Timothy. It's what God says to us now. Get refocused, redirected, receive the grace of the Lord so that you might be a person that gives. And this morning, in a few minutes' time, we're going to be uh, handing in our little gift day forms that say how much we are planning to generously give in this year up ahead. We'll do it with a smile, we'll do it with God's grace, and we'll do it with faith that what we give away, somehow God will bless us back for our enjoyment. And that in this giving, the kingdom of God might come. Let's uh, pause for a moment, shall we? So, Father, we're all in the same boat here today. We need your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you gave yourself for us so that we might then give ourselves for your service and for other people. So, Spirit of God, would you come, pour out your grace again in our lives so that we might be generous-hearted people who give and give again. And Lord, we bless you. Thank you that you're a God who has our backs, who uh, knows the future, who leads us into it, and who protects us as we journey there. Lord, help our treasure to be focused in your direction. And Lord, we want our hearts to follow. In Jesus' name.